0: series a truish story looking at movies that could be true might be true some of which even are true and this week we look at one that actually is true Uh, 127 hours and uh, how many of you have seen it Fair number okay so today as we launch in 127 hours the the story of 127 hours is i'll show you in 127 seconds here's the story of 127 hours the end actually that was kind of long I can do it faster than that story of 127 hours is a guy who was going out uh, rock climbing in a remote area he met a couple of girls they had fun swimming for a while and then he left them and then he went by himself and a rock fell on his arm he was there for 127 hours he cut it off and then he, and he, then he, was, he went back and, and that's the end so that was like 30 seconds right what we're going to do now <laughs> well actually we might be able to bring some of the story out a little more those are all the pertinent details if you if somebody asks you what's 127 hours about you can do that you can do it 127 seconds you can do it in about 30 but maybe we can bring a bit more of the story out a bit more of the vividness if we actually look at a couple of the scenes so we're going to look at two the first scene is uh when the uh rock falls on his arm So in the intersection of the character in the moment that I said, oh, his arm get caught in the rock, you get a much more vivid picture of what goes on, and it feels completely different than simply saying... The detail of the plot line you see interesting things about the character I even mean, as simple as when, and when he's walking through for he's rubbing his hands on the rock and you just get the sense of how much he loves what he's doing the visceral feel of the rock against his hand you see sort of his joy and adventurousness as he's jumping down into different things and then when the rock falls and you get that look on his face you see the plight that stunned moment of pain confusion wondering what in the world is going to happen here and then pulling away to a cutaway shot, which shows just how desperate the situation was. So the intersection of the character with the actual plot line, and you see a whole lot more. And the next scene, I'm going to show, just show you one more scene. It's about 24 hours later, and he has pulled out his video camera, and he begins to record uh, the moment. It's 3.05 on uh,
1: Sunday, April 27th. 2003 uh, This marks 24 hours Of being stuck In Blue John Canyon Right where it slots up Before the big drop uh, My name's Aaron Ralston My parents are Donna and Larry Ralston Of Englewood, Colorado um, Whoever finds this can keep The, the recorder at just please try and get in touch with my parents and and give them this tape. I'd appreciate it. Uh, I was descending Blue John yesterday uh, when this uh, chalk stone came loose and rolled onto my arm, and now it's stuck. Um, The thumb is kind of this gray-blue color and it's been without circulation for 24 hours, so I think it's pretty well gone. I'm low on food. Uh, that's about 300, 400 ml. And that's it for water. and pretty deep too here. Yeah? Hello Please there's someone down here?
0: Interesting scene because in it you you see him almost like he's a a bystander as he starts to talk into the the camera. He's doing a documentary as if there's some disembodied person that he's doing it about. You know, calculating how much water is in there. Uh, You know, when he talks about his thumb, it's kind of gray blue, so it's pretty much gone. Absolutely matter of fact, and he's just documenting the details, and then a little bit of a sand. A rock or gravel falls down there, and he, as most of us would, freaks out and begins screaming. When it's over, he doesn't like how it looks, and he begins to try to um, deal with the crisis by getting his, himself under control. Okay. Here's the thing. I said this last week. Uh, plot is overrated. When I told you the plot line of the movie, I didn't, I didn't leave anything out. But plot's overrated. Plot's only important to the extent that it, plot intersects with character. The character. When the character intersects when the actual storylines of their life, that's where, things, that's where things happen. And in our own lives, when our lives intersect with individual moments, characters are revealed often and sometimes shaped. What happens for all of us is the intersection of plot and us. We have events in our life. Somehow we have to meet them and face them. We tend to overplay the importance of the plot line. We tend to overplay the importance of where the next thing is going rather than actually living in the moment that we're in and doing that well. Plot, character, meet, in an intersection every moment of my life. The interesting thing about the Bible is it talks about another intersection that's really important in terms of seeing some real movement in our life happen, other than simply being the victim of whatever circumstance comes our way. And so I want to wade through that by looking at three different passages in the Bible and just sort of moving a case forward to talk about something I think is really important, about understanding how the individual moments of our life intersect with something far bigger that can shape who we are. Bless you. So first, there's a a passage in the Old Testament. It's in the the Psalms. The psalms are ancient songs. And and the psalm we're going to look at briefly is Psalm 119. Psalm 119, no one knows who wrote it. It doesn't say who wrote it. It's really impossible to tell. People speculate, but in the end, that doesn't matter. What is uh, true about the psalm is it's the longest psalm by, by quite some distance. And it the, if you take the average length of a psalm, it would be equal to 22 psalms. It's a long psalm. The other interesting thing about it is it's structured in 22 sections based upon the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each section has eight stanzas, and so it starts with the um, first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, and then it gives eight stanzas that begin with Aleph, and then it moves on and on until we, one we're going to look at, which is Lameth, which L, for lack of a better way of saying it. And so as we jump to L in the middle of this, this is what's true about the entire psalm. The psalm has a rhythm to it, okay? It's eight stanzas over and over again. The psalm has a rhythm to it, and the rhythm always begins with something that's true about God's word, about about the Bible, about how God teaches us. Something that's true, information, and then it moves on from there. In this section, it begins with this, and I'm in the 89th verse of Psalm 119, your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. Okay, so information. Your word, O oh Lord, is eternal. The psalmist is writing in this section that God's word is stable. It's, it's consistent. It's, it doesn't break down. It's, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't change day after day after day. It's, it's solid. It's eternal. It's consistent. Well, great. Got some information at this point, it's just information. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. Let's make it into a song. Well, look, they already did. It's 89 verses in. Can you imagine singing this thing? But anyway, your word, O Lord, is eternal. As long as it's information, it just sort of sits out there. Ivory tower. We've got lots of information. What the psalm then does, though, and it does this in every section, is it moves it from an intersection with the truth with somebody's actual life. And so the next verse says this. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you preserve my life. So the writer talks about a moment in his life, maybe money moments, but certainly a moment in his or her life where what happened was this, this analytical information descended from simply that and intersected directly with the person's life in such a way that it made a difference in that moment. There was not simply the character and the plot line. There was the character and the plot line and something from God's word that also intersected. And so something special and something extra happened sim- other than the plot line. We don't know what it was, but I've had moments in my life where a a particular passage of the Bible will intersect clearly with something in my life. It's not that I'm reading the Bible, this is very different. It's not that I'm reading the Bible and it reminds me of something. It's I'm living my life and somehow the Bible comes crashing into that moment to show me something I really needed to see. One One of the most difficult times in my life was where someone had died and I was very confused by the whole thing and not by death itself but by the circumstances of it and why this happened and, and in the midst of that God spoke to me uh, a verse be still and know that I am God now here's what was interesting about that plot didn't change the person still died circumstances were not uh, somehow different but as me the character in my own story met the plot line of the incident that happened in my life, God brought a teaching from the Bible to meet me directly there in order to change my ability to live in that moment and to go forward. That's what appears to happen for the psalmist where it says, seriously, I would have perished. One of the things we learn as the more we look at the Bible, and I don't know which, how much you've looked at the Bible, but the more we look at the Bible, one of the things we learn is it's not barren information. It was written in the context of our world and our struggles, and God shapes information for our lives to intersect it. Okay. So God sometimes sends the Bible into our lives to intersect. Well, there's a, there's a bigger point. That's one step. I want to I move this forward a little bit. So why, why, does, he, why does he do that? Okay, there's a story in a book called Acts. Acts is the story of the early church. And in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, here's the story that gets told. Paul, Paul is a, a leader of the early church, and he went around a lot starting churches. And it says, As Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, and so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I have no idea how they knew that God was forbidding them from going that way. My guess is it was technical difficulties You know, to take it forward to today like they couldn't get a visa, which wouldn't be the case then. But something prevented them. It, w- it, wasn't, it wasn't that there was this some invisible barrier or a whisper in their ear. It wasn't like that at all. Because they kept trying. they kept, Why is this not working? And What was happening is their very plans were being thwarted in a way that they were frustrated. I get the sense as I read the Bible that, that the character of Paul would have had a strategic plan, that he probably wouldn't have wung it. Winged it? What are words, anyway? But the, he, he had a plan, and his plan was getting thwarted. And my guess is, from looking at his personality, he didn't go, oh, well. He kept trying. What do you see here? He keeps trying. Over and he keeps trying. And he's like, what in the world is going on? I'm trying to go help people. God, how about cutting me a break? Uh, You know, I'm doing what you asked me to do. How about open up a few doors for me? And then he goes, oh, wait, we're supposed to go over here. (laughs) It wasn't as if he had this great spiritual awakening. His way was being stopped. Okay. We like to think of our life as... Upward and to the right. Think graph. Good and getting better. No valleys. Upward to the right. Sometimes it's not. What do we do when it's not? What do we do in those moments when it doesn't go upward to the right? Well, we might do lots of things depending on what our perspective is in the midst of that. But what this story shows me and we'll see this sort of teaching throughout the whole Bible, is that God is present in every moment of our lives. Even as Paul is not getting what he wants, God is present in that moment. When we don't get what we want, often we respond seriously like infants. Why didn't I get what I want? God, why didn't give you what you want? What did I do wrong? Should I do something better? Did I not pray enough? Did I not ask nicely enough? Should my prayers be different? Are you punishing me for something? Are you punishing somebody else for something? What's wrong here? Why didn't I get what I want? Sometimes you don't get what you want because God's overriding concern is not to make sure your life goes upward into the right. What is clear in the Bible is that God is present in every moment of our lives for some reason, which I'll get to. I'm not just going to leave that hanging. Think about this. When Jesus came to earth, this is how he was referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. The concept was that God was going to be with people, walking with them every moment of their lives, that he would be actively engaged in our lives. The gospel is the story of Jesus coming to earth to forgive people, yes. To give them a relationship with God, yes. But to actually have his spirit walk with them moment by moment by moment. What that means is there are no spare moments. There are no throwaways. There are no moments that God doesn't use. There's this this passage in the book of Romans where it says, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's one of those cross-stitch verses. And what we tend to think of that is God will make everything good. That's not true. It's not what it says. Remember where you heard this first. It's a very difficult concept. Bad things are bad good things are good. Let's not confuse the two. The Bible doesn't say God will make everything good. It says in everything, in every moment of your life, God is working for a particular purpose in your life. There are no spare moments. What that means is when I was six years old, God was there. When I was homesick, God was there. When I broke my wrist and so I shifted from football to soccer, God was there. When I became short in junior high, God was there. <laughs> now I'm huge. When I succeeded on tests, God was there. When girls broke up with me, oh, it's just a the- theoretically. When girls broke up with me, God was there. When I made a silly pact with him to go to law school, if he'd give me the right grade in the LSAT and he gave it to me and I didn't want to go, God was there. When I met my wife and we knew we were in love watching Dr. Shivago, God was there. If you can be in love watching Dr. Shivago. When my children were born, God was there. Good, bad, bad. Indifferent, the compelling, the driving truth, the biggest intersection. It's not simply, this is the really good news. Your life, no, this is not. It's going to get there. Your life will not go upward to the right necessarily. It might. But the really good news is there are three things that are intersecting in your life if you choose to follow Jesus. Sometimes even before you do. So I can see all these moments where God was intersecting my life well before I came into relationship with him because three things are happening. You, your life, and God intersecting. And that changes everything. It changes every moment. It doesn't make bad things good. It means that there are no throwaways. It means that even when things go sideways, God is there and he's working powerfully on our behalf. It means I'm not simply subject to the vagaries of circumstances. A fascinating quote. This, Aaron Ralston said this in the movie, and he says later, he actually said it. This rock has been waiting for me for my entire life. Somehow in the midst of that, he sensed that there was something going on there. This rock has been waiting for me my entire life. This moment has been waiting for you your entire life. It's not a throwaway. Tomorrow's not a throwaway. See, the, the we miss what God does in our life far too often because we're waiting for the upward to the right. We're waiting for God to give us what we want, the next thing. And so we miss this moment. Let's, I mean, let's be honest. Let's be existential here for a moment. All you have is this moment. That's it. This moment. It's the only moment we live in you can talk about the past you can talk about the future this is the only moment you live in the one that you're in the one right now and god intends to intersect there over and over and over again he promises to be with you and in you and for you and driving in your life toward a goal so what's the goal i'm glad you asked In the book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter to the church in Colossae. A lot of this is not tricky. It's a letter to a church in Colossae, and this is what it says. Speaking about Jesus, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which works so powerfully within me. Now, perfect is a really good translation of actual Greek, but it's not a good translation into English because we tend to think of perfect as there's no mistakes, technical perfection. The the Greek sense of that was whole. Paul is writing this. He says, we proclaim Jesus, and the, the, the thing we're doing is we believe God is working so that everyone may be whole. Complete. Fully formed. In every moment of your life, God is forming you. It is without a doubt true that in the moments of our life, character gets revealed. And sometimes we don't like what's revealed. It's also true that in every moment of your life, if you will be open to it, sometimes even when you're not, God is making you whole. He's sanding off the edges that really need to be gone. He's healing the hurts that have gone very deep. He's raising up the beauty that was always there. In every moment, every moment of your life, God is trying to make you whole. He works. He labors. The whole story of the Bible is the story of making you and I whole, complete, And he's doing it in this moment. And he'll do it in our next moment. And he'll do it when we fail catastrophically. And he'll do it when we succeed brilliantly. And he'll do it in those moments that seem rather neutral. He'll do it if a rock falls in our arm. He'll do it if we simply have a fun time swimming in a swimming hole. God will always be working to make you whole. And we miss it. Our eyes gazing on something else, we miss it. Not open to what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives. Maybe not believing. He's actually there. We miss it. And we trudge on through moments just asking questions of why that happened and how could it be better and missing the intersection of the Spirit of God in your storyline with your soul. And that's actually the point of your story. So what do you do with that? You open your life up. In a scary and rather vulnerable way, you open your hands and say God here I am. I want to see you intersect my soul here. I stand waiting, consent and open to your presence in my life. For every moment that happens. Don't let me skip past any of them. Here's a simple a simple exercise. Tomorrow morning, as you rise, pray this prayer. God, I want to be present in my moments today. I want to see you. I want to experience you. I consent and open up my life to your action and to your presence. Today, would you form who you've always intended to be as the image of God throughout my moments? See, it's a great story. The gospel is a great story of the Son of God coming and pursuing you, of living on earth, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, and then, once you receive that, continuing to pursue you. And now it's to us to open our lives, to acknowledge when we're not, to breathe in the power of His Spirit whether you're somebody who's been a Christian for 30 years or you're not yet there, the principle is the same. As we move into a time of response in just a moment, I would encourage you to begin that time of re- response with the simple prayer. See, this is your moment. You got this moment right now. In this moment, open your life and ask God to breathe in and speak into the midst of your life for the process of you becoming whole, mature, and complete seems infallibly he answers that prayer. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us the courage to open up our lives? Would you give us the wisdom to see your hand at at work? Would you give us the honesty about when we're shutting you out? We're grateful that you long to take hold of our souls for good, and that you want to bring out the beauty. Even now, we open up and we wait for you. We ask your presence to move into the midst of our hearts souls into those deepest recesses and even to the ones that are on the surface and make us a bit more whole even in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we receive an offering. It is a way for us to articulate a concept. God pursues us, and when we respond back to him, we pursue back and lean back into the relationship. Our offering is a way for us to articulate that both, that we are leaning back toward God and we want to be a part.